Hello and welcome to today's podcast. Today will be another lecture by Neville Goddard, uh, given in 1956. The title of this lecture is By Water and by Blood. This podcast will be split into two, uh, given its length. So I will read the first half today and then um, record the next half to be uploaded next week. Okay, so by water and by blood. Neville tells his audience, my subject this morning is taken from the first epistle of John. Now these 21 letters, or as we call them epistles, are not really addressed to individuals or groups. They are mysteries, as in the entire Bible. Whether the Bible in the Old Testament tells the story in the form of history, or whether they tell it in the form of a parable, or whether in the form of a letter, they are all revelations of the mind of God expressed in symbolism. Now, I do not claim that I can give you an exhaustive interpretation of any single story of the Bible because they are revelations of the mind of the infinite. No single interpretation could ever be exhaustive. On one level, it may be true, and then you and I expand in consciousness and we reread the letter and see it differently. And a further expansion in consciousness causes us, even when we reread it for the third or 15th time, to still see the letter in a different light. So in the morning's interpretation, or in this morning's interpretation, I will try to keep it on to a level that is most practical. We are told in this fifth chapter of the first John, of first John, this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. So these are symbols of birth. Every natural birth in the world is accompanied by the flowing of water and blood. It's trying to tell the individual of a certain mystery of birth. But he uses the word Christ Jesus, and that is the symbol of a truly mysterious birth, something out of nothing. That is the mystery, out of death, life. Man cannot conceive it. How can something alive come out of that which is dead? How can something come out of nothing? Man accepts it in the mineral world, for he sees if he goes back far enough in time, could he push the mystery in some remote past? He will accept the fact that sometime, in a way not known to modern science, out of a non-organic substance, came an organism. He will call it, by some little tiny name, an amoeba, and that will satisfy his mind. But he stops. He will still, he still will not admit that he stated that there was a non-organic substance, or nothing, or something that was dead, out of which came life out of which came something. He doesn't want to wrestle with that problem, so he leaves that, jumps over the pages of history, and comes to some little thing more complex. Then he teaches evolution from that state. But when he goes far enough back, he finds no answer for the appearance of life out of nothing or death. So here is the mystery. It comes by water and by blood. Not by water only but by water and blood. This is the great mystery of the incarnation, the death and the resurrection. What incarnation, what death, and what resurrection? The mind instantly thinks in terms of 2,000 years ago, and we think 
That was the great mystery. But before I jump into the mystery, let me quote you the very last verse of this wonderful fifth chapter: "Little children, keep yourselves from idols. No matter how officialdom justifies them and tells you this is the image of your Savior revealed through the minds of a saint or a great artist, you are warned in this chapter to keep yourselves free." Completely free of idols, in harmony with the second commandment: "Thou shalt not, or thou shalt make no graven image unto the Lord thy God." No matter how it is justified by officialdom or orthodox society, you are asked, please, not to make anything external to your own mind, and bow before it as a creative power. For here he is trying to reveal the true creative power that is in man. Or that is in man, it sleeps in man as his passive mind. As you unfold the mystery, it awakens from its passive state into its active state, and the birth of the active mind is truly the resurrection of Christ in man. It is Christ in man that is the hope of glory. Now, here in another verse, he gives you a test. He asks you to ask whatsoever thing in this world in my name that the Father may give it to you. He did not restrict you to one desire. Ask whatsoever thing you desire in my name, and the Father may give it to you. Now, if you take it literally, as I have heard thousands and thousands of prayers in my own home, raised in a Christian atmosphere, we said grace at meals, and Mother invariably said it, and invariably ended with the words "For Jesus' sake, um, Amen." But nothing happened. We ate the food and enjoyed the food, and you will say prayers. Long verbal appeals to God for something, always ending, for Jesus' sake, amen. Thinking that if I said it was for his sake, that I would so tempt my father to give it to me. For did he not say, whatsoever thing ye desire, ask it in my name, and the father will give it to you. Well, you ask it forever in that name, and nothing happens. Therefore, he didn't understand the mystery. So what is the mystery? Even Jesus Christ, who came not by water only, but by water and the blood. We have put it into the most practical manner in the world. Something out of nothing. Life out of death. Conceive of something you desire. Just think of it. The mere thinking of something, that is a conception, unaided by another. Is that not an immaculate conception? You knew no one in the formulation of your desire. Now you intend to realize it. It is clear in your mind's eye. It is a holy conception. It is a virgin conception. Can you bring about that something that seemingly is not existing? It is non-existent. It has no existence, in fact. And embody it? Can you incarnate it? For this is the mystery of the incarnation that comes by water and blood. There is a birth that could take place if I am willing to give it human parentage. I must give it human parentage. It cannot of itself be born, for unless I myself become it, it cannot be born. So I desire to be something other than what I am. Now, what is the water? The water is the great mystery, the great psychological truth that I must discover, which will enable me, if I accept it, to live a life according to that truth and give expression to my desire. For water is the truth, and the blood is the application of that truth. I can know everything in the world to be known of the mystery, but never live by it. 
still continue to live as I have always lived, passively, accepting the evidence of my senses as fact, accepting the dictates of reason as my guide. I could overhear a conversation, or I could read it in a book, or hear it in a place like this on a Saturday or Sunday morning, that if you desire something intensely, and you truly desire it, and you have a clear mental picture of what you would like to be, or what you would like to accomplish, or what you would like another friend to realize, you know exactly what you would like in this world. Now, this is the water by which it could be born, but it cannot be born of water only. It must be born of water and blood. So I will give you the water. When you know what you want, you make as vivid and as lifelike a representation of what you would see, of what you would hear, and what you would do were you physically present and physically moving about in such a situation. <laughs> to take an example, suppose I desired a certain apartment or a certain home or a certain business. Take one so you will not be confused. Or take one, so you will not be confused. We will take an apartment. But reason tells me I cannot afford it. Reason tells me I haven't enough furniture for so big an apartment. Reason tells me a thousand things that would deny that I could ever realize it. But I still would like it. Now this is what I would give you in the form of water. For something must come out of nothing and life out of death. To embody that state, I make it real. You pull it seemingly from a state that is non-existent, therefore something out of nothing, to make it real and to incarnate it and to become alive to it and it to you. You are pulling life out of death. Now this is what you do. There is a death involved, but it is not the kind of death that men call death. There is a death. There is a radical change of your state of mind. You completely give up the belief that you are not living in such a place. That is irrational, but that is what you are called upon to do, to completely deny the evidence of your senses and to boldly assume that you are already in that state that you occupy. There you, there you dwell in a state that reason denies. You dwell in an assumption that your senses deny. That is just the water. If you do it, you are applying the blood. If you are told to do it, you are given the truth for it will work. That water, if you could only add the blood to it, will bring the invisible state into the visible world, and what seemingly is non-existent will crystallize and harden into fact. But if you only know it, as too many of us know it, and think the mere knowledge is enough, we will come here on Sunday morning and thoroughly enjoy this wonderful hour, the music, the message, the meditation, the feeling of companionship you find here, and the whole thing is a thrill for an hour. But such knowledge cannot bring Christ Jesus to birth. In this state, Christ Jesus, now I'll analyze it for you. On a lower plane, the word Jesus means salvation. The word Jesus, which is Jeshua, means to save. If I desire something and I don't realize it, then I simply continue a life of frustration. I realize my objective, I have been saved from frustration. Take a simple matter. Suppose I wanted a suit of clothes because I was in need of raiment. If I don't realize the suit of clothes, I'm not saved from my nudity. If I realize the suit of clothes, I have been saved. For this is an all-inclusive savior, not just a man. Now, if I wanted water, literal water, a lecture will not quench my thirst.
I wanted food, literal food, the most wonderful revelation will not actually satisfy my hunger. So Jesus is all-inclusive, meaning everything you desire. He is it. Because if you embodied that desire, you embodied your Jesus. Now to embody Jesus, he cannot be embodied by the knowledge of what to do only. He can only be embodied by the application of that knowledge. So the knowledge of what to do is called water, the water of truth, but the use of that lovingly is called the flowing of the blood. So here we find the symbols that always accompany birth, that which is presented in this mystery. You're told the limit is within you. You make the limit. There is no limit. Whatsoever you desire, ask in my name. For name simply means nature. If I wanted to be in a house and to feel that I am the occupant of the house, there's a certain feeling, a certain nature that goes with it. I must appropriate, or appropriate it as though it were true. Here I am called upon to bring something alive out of a state that is dead. For if I told you what I have done, you would question my sanity and you would feel I am trying to give expression to something that is being pulled out of nothing, for you cannot see it. You don't see me in the house. You don't see me actually occupying and enjoying the life that you know I desire to enjoy. So if I persist in that assumption to you, if you should know by persistency, you might think I am headed towards a form of insanity. But if tomorrow the house becomes an embodied fact and I, and I the occupant, then you look at it passively. You will still try to justify it by tracing its appearance back to a visible cause. You will see that in some way, unknown to you, my resources were lifted up. That in some way I became more eligible for that house and you will trace it back to a chance or a change in my fortune. You will trace it back to a change in something in my world, but you won't trace these changes back to the unseen assumption in which I dwell. So, as the mystic tells us in the 11th of his letters to the Hebrews, things seen were not made of things that do appear, and refuses to accept it. So he takes everything in his world and tries to take it back to some visible cause. Even with the aid of his microscope, he takes the microscope and he will peer through it to prove to his own satisfaction there's a visible, tangible cause. Or he goes off into space with his telescope. He must find in the outer world causes of the changes in the outer world. He cannot believe that the whole vast world is held together from within, and we are only on the surface looking at it from without and trying to analyze it and to understand it from without. And all that appears without, though it seems there, it isn't. It is all from within, all within the mind of man. And that is the mystery. Okay, so this ends the first half of Neville Goddard's lecture by water and by blood. So I will upload the next half next week on the podcast. So I will see you all then.